What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. God said in Isaiah 58, 7 through 11, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, that thou seest the naked and cover him, that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, the glory of the Lord shall be thy real reward. And thou, then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer, and thou shalt cry, and he shall say, here I am, Thou shalt take away the midst of thee the yoke and putting forth the finger and so forth. See, God says, you give your bread to the hungry, you clothe the naked, you give clothes to the needy, to the poor. What's going to happen to you? You'll have light in your soul. You have light in your soul. Our health is going to spring out speedily. Our health. And when we pray to God, God's going to say, right over here, here I am, right here. We'll have guidance from God. Our souls will be satisfied all goes back to what Boaz did. He helped this poor person who did, had no ability to pay him back. Exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 14, 13. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recomp recompensed at the resurrection of the just. See, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind are the ones that can't pay us back. They can't recompense. He said, you'll be recompensed. So when Boaz asked the servant that said over the reapers, whose damsel is this? His sole intention is how can I care for her needs? Where's she from? How'd she get here? What estate does she belong to? What's her financial situation? See, verse 6 is so great because it enables us to see Ruth through the eyes of another person, which is this foreman. So he's describing her, her most pronounced characteristics, he's telling Boaz. So let's pretend that we don't know anything about Ruth, and for the, we're like Boaz. And so for the first time, we're hearing about her, and it says in verse 6, the servant that said over the reapers answered and said, is the Moabitish damsel that came back 
with Naomi out of the country of Moab. The first thing that Boaz hears is that she's a Boaz, she's a Moabitess. She's a Moabitess. She's not an Israelite. She's from Moab. She's not Jewish. She's from one of those nations, the Goy, the nation of, of um, Moab. And the next thing he hears is that Ruth has come back with Naomi. This speaks to Boaz when, when he hears the word, she's come back with Naomi. Well, you know, Boaz thinks Naomi is the one that, who is responsible for bringing her the knowledge of God. Why she come back? Because she's responsible for bringing the knowledge of God. It's Naomi who has led her to the Lord God of Israel. He knows Naomi has become a widow. He knows that she's all alone. And now he hears this Moabitess has decided to be loyal to Naomi. She's loyal to Naomi is what comes across. Then he hears those last words, out of the country of Moab. See, the foreman, he, it's, he didn't have to say that. Obviously, she can't. She's a Moabite. She's obviously, but he emphasizes it that in that last word. He emphasizes it. She came out of the country of Moab. She's a Moabitess. Okay. So when he emphasizes it, he's telling Boaz, look, Ruth has forsaken her country. Ruth has forsaken her people. Ruth has forsaken her gods. Ruth has forsaken her lifestyle of the Moabites. So he's saying, she used to be just like all the other Moabites. She was an idolater. She was an enemy of God. Verse 6, you know, and she's come out of the country of Moab. It says that she came out of all of that. That fits our description. In 1 Corinthians 12, 2, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto those dumb idols, even as you were led. By saying that Ruth came out of the country of Moab, verse 6, the foreman is saying, Ruth used to be a servant of sin, but now Jehovah Jesus has made her free. And that fits our description in Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. See, Moab, and all of the pictures that we have of Moab in Scripture, it's a very sexually immoral-oriented society. You know, that's how they defiled Israel, finally, with the sexual sins. And as sexual sins kill any inclination to God, that's what sexual sins do. Sexual sins are like a little tiny cement truck that just rides right into the heart and dumps its load in the heart. So the Moabites had no interest in God. They were a lust-driven society. They were a sex-driven society. And by saying that Ruth came out of the country of Moab, in verse 6, Ruth is identified as a person who was dead in trespasses and sins, who was walking according to the course of the Moabites, who was led by the spirit of Satan that worked in the children, the Moabite children of disobedience, but no more. Ruth, because of verse 6, she came out of that. She came out of the country. No more is she Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. But now she fits Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. She says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We're in in time past. You walked according to the course of this world. You just fell right in line. According to the prince of the power of the air. You just obeyed perfectly. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also... We all had our conversation. We all had our life in time past, in the lusts of the flesh. The lust comes and we follow. 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh. This flesh says desires. Well, yeah. See? And we're by nature, not just practice, but by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who's rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, we were then, even when we were in that state, he quickened us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. So verse 6, the description of Ruth coming out of the country of Moab describes her as having walked as other Moabites walked with their understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God, ignorance that was in her, blindness of her heart, past feeling, given herself up to filthy living. That was all in the country of Moab that she came out of. And that's why Ephesians 4.17, it describes it where this I say, therefore, and testify of the Lord. Henceforth you now walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, work all manner of uncleanness and greediness. So just as Ruth, he comes, she comes out of the country of Moab, we've come out of what we were. And thank God that there is this word were in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know you not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. We read that list up there, those sins, and we go, oh, wow, you nailed me. But there's three wonderful things that now makes it all different. First, we are washed from our sins. We had to be willing to name our actions as sin and willing to turn from it. If a person says, well, I know what I'm doing is sin, but I rather like it. I don't really want to turn away from it. He can't be saved. Cannot be saved. Jeremiah 4.14. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall vain thoughts lodge in thee? The heart was the place of wickedness, and it was the thoughts and the, of sin and the wickedness, and that's what the Bible says in Proverbs 24.9. The thought of foolishness is sin. That's what sin is. It's the thought. There's got to be a willingness. There must be a willingness to turn from that before there can be any salvation. God can't help anybody who's not willing to turn. Often a person doesn't even have the strength to turn. They're so weak. And so they just cry out to God, I want to turn, help me turn. That's good enough. Isaiah 1.16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your eyes from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, come now. Let's reason together. And you come to the Lord and you say, okay, I want to reason with you. I'm so, I'm so pitifully weak. I want to turn with all my heart, but I can't do it. God says, that's okay. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take it. May your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. What can, what does wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved us. He washed us. This expression of his love that he washes us from our sin in his own blood. And we talked about this earlier. 
one of the elders in Revelation 7.13, he answers and says, what are these who are arrayed in white lobes? Whence came they? I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. He said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's an amazing sight. All the, all the saved appear in white robes. Everyone will know that their robes didn't start off in white. They made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Not only are we washed from our sins, but we're sanctified. These are the three important words. Washed, second one, sanctified. That means we're set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be sanctified means to be, we are no longer our own. We are owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? We did those sins in the past because we said, I own my body. That's my body. I'll do with it what I want. Thank you very much. I'm accountable to no one but myself. To thine own self be true. See, that's all different now. As the hymn says, now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time, but for eternity. At last, it says, we're justified. Justified. That's the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. As it says in Isaiah 53, 11, he shall seal the travail of his soul. He'll be satisfied by my by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He justified us with the travail of his soul on the cross. He justified us when he bore our iniquities on the cross. He justified us when he died for our sins on the cross. On the cross, he did what it says in Romans 4, 5, justifieth the ungodly. This is so. This phrase is so simple in verse six that describes Ruth as one who came out of the country of Moab. It brings back to our mind how the Lord turned us back away from sin to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in verse nine, verse six, when she comes out of the country of Moab, it's a tremendous help for us. We remember our past. Satan does too. You know those good old days when we lived in sin and we enjoyed sin. Our reply is one word. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. That one word is were. Those are my were days. And when the devil says to, says to us, so what's the difference between your past were days and your present are days? You're the same person. What happened to make your past your were days and you so the different from your present are days? And we got a reply to the devil. We have a reply. Satan, three words. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. What makes me different? Washed, sanctified, justified. Washed from the sins of my old days. That washing was in the blood of the Lamb. It dealt with my internal problem of defilement. That's my internal filth problem. Sanctified, I'm sanctified. Now, I wasn't sanctified in my word days. Sanctification by the blood. That means my, that, that solved my ownership problem. Sanctification means set apart. You know, I used to go up to Chino um, to the animal auction on Tuesday morning, and I'd buy, sometimes I'd buy like 50 goats at a time. And the auction company, you know, they, they knew I'd come and buy so many goats, so they would give me a pen, you know, that I could use there. And those are, my, those are where my goats went. And a goat would come into the ring, you know, the auctioneer, you know, they do, they go, 60, 60, 60, who'll give me 60, who, 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 this sweet little goat here, beautiful goat, who'll give me $60? 
And I'd raise my hand, you know, $60 from the man with the curly hair. You know. <laughs> and I had the highest bid, so the auctioneer would say, sold to that man with the curly hair, the curly hair, and then they'd take my goat and they put it in the pen. My pen for that day. So by putting that goat in my pen, that sanctified that goat for me. That goat was set apart for me. Wasn't with all those other mangy goats. <laughs> I always bought the goats that died on the way home. I don't know why. But anyway, say <laughs> shoot them up with combine. Anyway. So anyway, they were set apart in that pen. They were sanctified. They were set apart in my pen for me because I bought that goat. And I owned that goat. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ bought us. So we've been sanctified and set apart for him as owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the blood of Christ did for us. For as much, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold received by, or from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. You were bought with the blood of Christ, precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, that word sanctification refers to the fact that with his blood, the Lord Jesus Christ bought us. And the last word that makes our past were days different from our present are days is the word justified, which solves our problem of our sins caused with God. We've got several problems, but what that, that problem is, who's going to pay for those sins? That's fine. Who's going to pay? I just want to know who's going to pay. That's God saying. I just want to know who's going to pay for those sins. And we were justified through the blood of the Lamb when his blood was offered as a payment for the offense of our sins. It bought us as persons, but it was also given as a payment. And we're different now because the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, three words. Three words the blood did for us. We are washed in his blood. We are sanctified by his blood. And we are justified through his blood. So that's what the Lord did for us. And so she says now in verse 7, Foreman continues on. He says, she said, I pray you, let me glean. Gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, continued, even from the morning until now. She tarried, not a little, she tarried a little in the house. So now Boaz, he hears that Ruth is humble, and she says, I pray you, let me glean and gather. She asked for a place to gather right after the reapers. You know, position, this is the way it works. You know, the position of the workers, you know, the, 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 the reapers are first. They're swinging those very dangerous, sharp sickles, you know. And then there's a little separation, and then came the maidens, and they would be gathering up what the reapers had missed. And normally after that would come the poor gleaners. See? But Ruth is asking, I want a position, can you please, I know it's dangerous, let me have a position right after, the, right after the reapers. Can I have that position? I know it's dangerous. I know it puts me, it puts me within reach of men who could grab me. I know it also puts me in dangerous way from the sharp sickles that might injure me, but I please give me this. So the foreman tells Boaz, she came, so she came. That after she had asked permission, she obtained it, she followed through, she came, she came. She asked and she came. And so he could see, this is a woman of commitment. She did what she said she was going to do. You can rely on her. And then the foreman tells Boaz in verse 7, She's continued even from the morning until now. She tarried a little in the house. So there was a house in the field for the workers, and, and they would rest there. And so, you know, the foreman kept a very close track on how much time each of the workers spent in that house. <laughs> their break time, 
you know, so, okay, you, you got your strength back yet? He says, well, it takes an hour. No. <laughs> so the foreman watches how much time each one spends. And so the, it's natural. The, the foreman also sees her when she goes in. And he says in verse 7, she tarried a little in the house. It was just a little time. I wrote down the time here. Look, it's nothing. There was something really impressed this foreman that Ruth spent very little time in the rest house. And now we read, then Boaz said unto Ruth, and just these words in verse 8, they've come as such so unexpected for Ruth. I mean, she's sitting there, she had no idea. Boaz is coming now and speaking to her. She's so surprised. I mean, here's not only the owner that's going to speak to her, it's, it's, a, it's a distant, it's Boaz. Totally unexpected. Now we get to the story of John Nelson. <laughs> unexpected. So nine days ago, John is at home. He's sleeping on his couch. And he got up to go in his kitchen. And he, you know, he passes out and hits his head hard on the tile floor. His wife, Judy, comes in, finds him on the floor. There's a pool of blood. She calls the ambulance. Paramedics come. They put a tube down his throat so he breathes. He gets to the hospital. They induce a coma. They do CT scans. And they come back and they meet with Judy and they say, we've got really bad news. Got really extensive bleeding in his brain. He's never going to speak again. He won't speak again and probably can't breathe on his own. And so then they stop inducing the coma. John doesn't wake up. He develops pneumonia on the ventilator. So last Monday, they told Judy, Judy, we're really sorry, but you've got to make the hard decision to pull the plug on John and let him die. And so... What can she say? So she says, okay, we're playing, but let's, you know, a little time. So Friday, if we could do that Friday morning around 10, and that'll give me time to call all the family, the son and the daughters, everybody else, all the friends should come in and say their last goodbye to John. So a group of us from the Creation Museum, we go over on Thursday afternoon before the Friday morning, 10 o'clock, and we say goodbye to John. You know, and, and they said, well, John has been a little agitated today, so they, to try to, they decided just to give him general anesthetic. They gave him propofol. So I stand by John's bed. I read the scriptures about how precious in the sight of the Lord the death of the saint is, how God guides with his eyes and afterward receives the glory. I pray for John. And then I start to discuss with Judy where he's going to be cremated and where his ashes are going to be spread on the river at Oregon and, how, and the time frame. And... We, you know, we left and we said our last goodbye to John. John, we'll see you in heaven. And the next morning at 10 a.m., the doctor and the nurse come into John's room to take him off the ventilator, and what they found was not expected. John's awake. They pulled the tube, and he says, I want a Coke. <laughs> and they say, you can speak? Yes, I want a Coke. They say, can you read? Yeah, I read. He read. You know this? Of course I do. You know, so... Uh, you go to the Recreation Museum next, bring John a Coke. <laughs> totally unexpected surprise. And when you do see John, don't tell him that I came in there to give him his last rites. Yeah. <laughs> or discuss where he's going to be cremated. <laughs> but it was a wonderful surprise to have John alive. And it was a wonderful surprise for Ruth to find out that she was gleaning in the field of Boaz. And Boaz came to talk with her. And those surprises are nothing compared to the surprise that we will have when we wake up in heaven and see the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the God of all wonderful surprises. 
And we thank you, Lord, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were surprised to learn that Christ died for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.